Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, we have been walking through a six-part series, and, and today is the last installment in that series um, called Don't Forget the Fish. We, we've taken as our, our root scripture, 2 Corinthians chapters 2 through 5, and we've been looking at that passage of scripture with an, a particular image, that of a fishing trip, to help us to maybe understand its truth a little more. And, and the, the image of the fishing trip that we've had is, you can imagine if all of us were to go on a fishing trip together, we were to pack up in buses and we were to go to Texoma to go on a fishing trip, we would all want to make a stop to, to grab some gear before we went. Fishing is a, is a hobby that requires some gear, and so you'd want to stop and you'd want to pick up some supplies, you'd pick up your rods and your reels, uh, you'd get a, a tackle box, you'd get some, some lures, you'd get all this gear together, and then you would, you would take it with you to the lake, and we talked about how absurd it would be for a fisherman to go to all that work, to gather the stuff, to gear up, but then when they got to the lake, to just spend all of their time on the dock merely organizing their stuff. How absurd would it be to go on a fishing trip and to spend all of your time organizing your stuff and never actually fishing? And we've drawn the parallel with the Christian life. In the Christian life, God has equipped us with many things. God has geared us up. He has given us things like community, and He's given us His Word, and He's given us the equipping of the Holy Spirit with spiritual gifts, and He's given us all of these things. He's geared us up, and He's geared us up for more than just the purpose of us spending all of our time organizing the stuff that He's given us, He's geared us up so that we might use that gear for a particular purpose. Jesus said to His followers, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so what that really is is talking about is that we would invest the things that God has given us, we would invest them in ministry and service to others. As we live out the Christian life, we don't want to forget to fish. We're going to continue that series today by looking at the final installment from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 21. But before we look at those verses, let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for the time that you've given us today to gather together and to look at your word. Father, uh, we need you to speak to us today, and we know that you have promised to use your word to that end. And so, Father, as we get ready to look at your scripture, we look at it with expectant eyes and open hearts knowing that you have something that you want us to hear today. Father, I pray that you would protect me from saying something that you wouldn't want said. But if I do say something that you wouldn't want said, I pray that we would all just quickly forget it. But Father, anything that is shared today that are your words and your truth, I pray that we would remember them, we would believe them, and that we would apply them within our lives, that we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're going to go fishing, I think there's two questions that you really have got to answer. Two questions you have to answer if you're going to go fishing. Uh, one, One question is, what are you fishing for? The second question is, what are you fishing for? Both of those questions are are very important. When I say, what are you fishing for on this hand, we're referring to uh, the why of your fishing. Are you going to fish? for fun. You're going with some friends. You're just going to spend some, a good time at the lake together. That's one reason to fish. Are you going to go to fish, not for fun, but if you're, are you going to go to fish for food? In other words, you have to eat what you bring out of the lake or you're going to starve. 
That's another reason to fish, a different motivation. Or, or maybe it's we're going we're to fish for, for money. Maybe that's the motivation to fish. You know, the, the people that are on television, the world's deadliest catch, you know, that are fishing for these king crab in Alaska, it's, it's very dangerous. Uh, those guys are out there. They're not just out there fishing for fun. They're out there fishing for money. There's a, there's a huge payday at the, at the bottom of, that, of those nets that they're pulling from the bottom of the ocean. Uh, if you're going to go fish, you've got to answer the question, what am I fishing for? Why am I out there? Because knowing the answer to that helps define the parameters of what makes the trip a success or a failure, right? What are you fishing for? But on the other hand, we have to ask the question, what are you fishing for? What are you trying to catch? That's an equally important question to answer because it impacts the kind of lures you use and all those kinds of things. If you're going to fish for bass, you might throw one particular kind of lure. If you're going to fish for trout, you might throw a different kind of lure. If if you're going to fish for catfish, you might just hop in the lake and stick your arm under a rock and see what you pull out, right? Um, All of those things, you have to know what you're fishing for. That helps, you know, shape your strategy for what you're doing. What are you fishing for? Why are you fishing? What are you fishing for? What are you trying to catch? Knowing the answer to those two questions is essential. You know, when it it comes to the Christian life and when it comes to being a fisher of men, I think it's equally important to answer those questions. What are we fishing for? Why is it that we're engaging in ministry and service to others? And then also, what are we fishing for? What what are we trying to catch? what's, What's our strategy in ministry? When we come to these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 21, I think that Paul gives us an answer to those two questions. What are you fishing for? What are you fishing for? And we're going to look at those two things today as we look at these verses. So if you've got a Bible, take it and open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 21 is where we're going to camp out. And uh, I said we're going to see two things. What are we fishing for? The, The first thing that we're going to see is that we're fishing for Him. When it comes to the why, why are we fishing? Why would we engage our lives in ministry and service to others? These verses tell us in verses 11 to 15 that we're fishing for Him. For Him, let's let's read them. It says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf." In those verses, I think we, we see this idea that we're fishing for Him. Now, now where do we see that? We see it, I, th- I think, at least in three different ways in this section. We're fishing for Him. Verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul says the reason why he's engaging in ministry and service to others is because he has a fear of the Lord. It has to do with him, a fear of the Lord. Where, where does that come from? Why would Paul say that he has a, a fear of the Lord and it's a motivating factor for him to ga- engage in ministry and service to others? I think that the, where, the reason he says that has its root in verse 10. Uh, verse 11 follows verse 10, and last week we looked at verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ 
so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. See, Paul says that the reason why he's engaging in serving others is because he has a fear of the Lord, and that fear of the Lord or respect of the Lord comes out of this knowledge that one day he's going to stand before Jesus Christ, and Jesus is going to ask him to give an account for his life, and because of a, a healthy fear, a healthy respect of that moment, Paul says he's engaging in ministry and service right now. Now, we talked about last week how verses like 2 Corinthians 5.10 bother us. They ought to bother us because as believers in Christ, we, we know that the death of Christ on the cross paid full payment for our sins, full payment, not partial, not three-fourths, full payment for our sins. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to fear judgment as a Christian because our entrance into eternity is not based on what we have done, good or bad. It's based on what Christ has done for us. So what's talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 10 and 11 is not talking about a judgment that will come down upon people to determine whether they enter into the presence of the Lord or not. But it is talking about an evaluation that Jesus will, will give to all Christians at the moment that we stand before Him in eternity. What's interesting to me is that this evaluation that is talked about in 2 Corinthians 5.10, is, and we talked about last week, we saw a parallel passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Both passages are in a ministry context. What struck me so much over the last several weeks as I've looked at these verses is that I think that, that, that when we stand before Christ on that day to give an account for our lives, it's not on the basis of our morals. It's on the basis of ministry. Isn't that interesting? Both of those contexts have to do with investing our lives in serving others and giving an account for that before God. Uh, we see the same thing in, in the parables that Jesus tells of the talents, where Jesus gives talents and the people are to invest those talents to do something with it. And when they come back, they're, they're, they're given account for what they have done with the things that they were given. I think that in a, in a very similar way, all of us will stand before Christ one day and there will be an expectation that we will have invested our lives in ministry and service to Him. Now, now you know, we've, we've talked about this before. Uh, know that the correct application of this passage is not that everybody would go and become a full-time minister or a full-time pastor or, or, or a missionary or something like that. But the reality is that based on where we are and what we've been given and the occupation that we have and the opportunities that we have and all of those things, there will be an expectation that we will invest those things for serving Him. And Paul says that because ministry is about Him, it's about Christ, that's a motivating factor to serve Him right now. That's one of the reasons why ministry is about Him, about fishing is about Him. But, but a second reason why that's the case is that ministry is about Him is because He is the one who motivates us and who guides our action. Uh, it's really interesting what, what Paul says uh, in this next little section here. He says, we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we were made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. I guess it's a fascinating 
set of verses. Because what Paul was saying was, as I have been living out my life before you, my life has been made manifest to God. In other words, God sees all of who I am. My life has been manifest before you. In other words, the Corinthians had seen Paul live out his ministry. As, as the Corinthians had watched Paul engage in ministry, as they'd watched him pour out his life in service to others, some had come to the conclusion that Paul was crazy. Some had said, that guy has lost it. And what he says here is, he says, as those looked onto his life, he says, some would say that he was out of his mind. He says, if I appear to be out of my mind, it is for God. The things I'm doing that make me look crazy are because God is directing my action in a certain way that makes you think that I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm following God, but my actions might appear that way at times. And the book of Acts chapter 14 talks about an incident that if I would have seen someone do this, I might have been tempted to think that person's crazy too. Acts 14 verses 19 and 20 talk about an incident where Paul was in the city of Lystra, and this is what it says. It says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconum, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. While the disciples stood around him, he got up and he entered the city. The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derby. I mean, imagine this scene. You're, you're watching this unfold. Paul, because of his testimony about Christ, is taken to the city square, and he's stoned. And he's stoned and beaten so severely that they think that he's dead. They drag him to the outskirts of town. They lay him down. All of his disciples and followers gather around him. Paul, Paul, are you okay? Get some bandages. Call a doctor. We need to take care of him. Paul stands up and begins dusting himself off. And they think, yes, Paul's okay. And Paul says, excuse me, I'm going back to the city. People who saw that said, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Paul says, I appear to be out of my mind for God. God picked him up off of that ground, and God was leading him back into that city. There was a chance for people to think that Paul was crazy, but he says, I'm only crazy because God is leading me to behave in this particular way. But Paul says also, if I appear to be in my right mind, it is for you. There was a sense in which Paul was tempering some of his enthusiasm around the Corinthians so that they would, would, he would be more socially acceptable within their circles. Not, not socially acceptable for you know, some kind of weird purpose, but for ministry purpose. There were things that Paul wasn't doing um, in order to appear normal within their context. I'll give you a, a, an example of this that, that will help maybe drive this point home. Uh, a mom. How many moms out there? Raise your hand, moms. Okay, imagine, moms, that you are out at the baseball field and you're watching your son play baseball. And, and he's up there and he's batting and, and, and he hits, boy, he just strokes one for the first time. And, and it just goes over the second baseman's head, lands out there in that vast expanse of grass between right field and center field, and it rolls all the way to the wall. And, and your son runs into second base with a stand-up double. First time he's ever hit it out of the infield. And then, then the next play, he steals third base. And then right after that, he makes a, you know, this great diving slide into home, scores the winning run. He comes over to the sideline, and mom, you go run into the fence post. What do you want to do? You want to pick him up and hug him and kiss him. What do you do? Or at least what, what I hope you do. You temper that reaction a little bit, right? You give him a fist tap or an elbow or, you know, just, just a point. You know, whatever you do, Mom. But, but you temper some of that action in order to be appropriate within the context. Same heart, same motive, but it's tempered slightly. Paul says, as I have lived out my life in ministry among you, 
There, there are things that I have done that people would say that I'm crazy for. And there are things that I've done that, have, that appear more sane. But I want you to know that the same enthusiasm, the same God is leading me to do it all. Also, that you would find benefit. But I'm doing it for him. I'm not living out my life in ministry with you guys as my judge on whether or not what I'm doing is right or wrong. I'm living out my life in ministry by what God is leading me to do. And, and the love of God was actually leading Paul in, in a very intense way. Verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. See, what Paul was saying was that ministry was for him. He was fishing for him. Because Christ had come and had died for Paul's sins. Christ's love had so enraptured Paul's life, so encapsulated, had come to take residence up within his heart in such a way that it was now the controlling influence on Paul's life. The love of Christ that was extended to Paul now was controlling Paul and leading him into serving and ministering to others. Uh, we see this in the book of 1 John uh, chapter 3 and verse 16. You know, it's interesting, you know, John 3, 16, it's everybody's favorite verse, right? Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should never perish but have eternal life. That's an awesome verse, an awesome truth that talks about God's love and extension of that love to us. But 1 John 3, 16 says this, not in contrast, but it expounds on it. It says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, if God has so loved us and extended his love to us and it's come to take up residence within our hearts, that when God comes to take up residence within our hearts, he becomes the controlling influence that compels us, that pushes us forward to serve and to love others, just as he has served and loved us. Christ's love controls us. And the natural thing to do, verse 15 says, for someone who has bled and died for you is that you would live for them. And what Christ desires we do is that we minister and reach out to others. See, we're fishing for Him. Now, what does that, what does that mean for us individually? You know, one of the things that I'm really challenged by as I look at those, those verses is I'm challenged. If, if all of us as believers in Christ will one day have to stand before Christ and He will want a checkup. He'll want an evaluation. He'll want to hear how we have invested our lives for him. There'll be a moment in time where that will happen. You know, that, that's, that's greatly challenging for me as an individual. You know, it's, it's greatly challenging for me to think, how am I, you know, investing the time, the talent, the treasure that God has entrusted to me to serve him and others while I'm in this world? That's a challenge for me. And, you know, that's a challenge for, for, for you too. You know, what, what is it that what is it that God wants you to do with the things that he has given you? How does he want you to invest it? What is, your, what is the ministry that God has for you? How does he want you to serve him? You know, it's challenging for me as a church leader. I think you know, if, if, if all of us here will one day stand before Christ, then there's a stewardship that we have as church leaders to encourage all of us. To, to serve him. Now, I want you to know, I, I, am, I, I think that many of you know me well enough to know I'm not a legalistic person and I am not trying to guilt anybody into anything. I'm not saying this because I've got some kind of a rule or an agenda or anything like that. I'm saying this because I love you. And God's word says that he desires that we serve him. 
and invest the things that he has given us for him. And as we do that, uh, one day we'll have to stand before him and give an account for how we've invested those things. So what is your ministry? It, it, it could be something within the church. It could be as simple as cutting grass or serving in children's ministry or leading a small group or whatever it could be. Or, or it might be something in the community, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. But how are you serving others based on the skills and the gifts that God has given you? And as you do that, as you begin to answer that question and think about your plan, you know, many of you are already doing that, and if, if that's the case, praise God. I, I know Wildwood is a wonderful church for this. Uh, excel still more. Uh, but, but as you do that, as you begin to engage, there are times when your actions will appear to be crazy to others. There are times when you will appear out of your mind, as Paul did, when we serve and follow him. You know, there, there's, there's people that might say, you know, why would you waste your time teaching a preschool class every Sunday? Why, why, would, you, why would you do that? I mean, come on, you, there's a lot of things that you could do. There's a lot of things you could invest your time. A lot of things that might appear, you know, uh, bigger, might have more applause, might whatever. Why, why would you invest your time doing this? You, you seem out of your mind for having done that for 10 straight years, 15 straight years. You know what? Just following God. That's the answer. Just following him. Just fishing for him. Why am I rocking babies every Sunday? Just following him. Just, just fishing with him. You know, you might be, why, why, are, why are you investing your money in church and ministry? Why are you giving to missionaries? Why are you giving to the church? I mean, come on, so this is an economic recession. Everybody needs to, to tighten up and keep everything close. But no, I'm just, just fishing. Just following him. Based on the things that he's given me, just give them back. Think about a story like, you've already got a house full of kids. I'm going to go adopt a baby from Ethiopia. What are you doing that for? Seems kind of crazy. Just fishing. Just following him. You think about when you follow Christ, there are times that people will look at you and go, that's crazy. It might be a family member, might be a friend, might be a coworker, whatever it is. But the reality is we're just following him and just fishing for him as we do it. See, fishing is about him. We're fishing for him. And his love is compelling and controlling us in those directions. That's the first thing that we need to see. That's why are we fishing. But the second thing is, you know, who are we fishing for? What, what are we fishing for? What are we trying to catch? What's the, what's, what's the target in ministry? Uh, we see that in the second half of these, this passage in verses 16 to 21, and that is that we're fishing for them. We're fishing for them, for other people. Uh, verse 16 begins and says this, says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. 
He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, in these verses, Paul says that we're fishing for them. We're engaged in ministry to, to others. And he begins this, and you know, verse 17 is one of the most famous verses in the entire book of 2 Corinthians. If you've been around Christian circles for any period of time, you've probably heard 2 Corinthians 5.17 before. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. You, you've heard that verse before. What, what really struck me this week is that that verse has context. That verse appears in, in, in the flow of an argument of what Paul is saying. And that, that flow begins in verse 16. See, in verse 16, Paul says, From now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Now, that's a kind of a confusing statement, but let me maybe bring some clarity to it. I think what Paul was saying was, Paul was saying, in my earlier days of life, I misunderstood who Jesus was. See, when Paul was younger, his name was Saul, and he was a part of a group that actually persecuted Christians, rounded them up to be imprisoned and killed. That was what Paul did in an earlier day. And he, and he got there because he looked at Jesus and he said, that's Jesus? That Jesus can't be the Messiah. Where's his crown? Where's his, his, his glow? Where's his aura? Uh, he, was, he was a carpenter. He hung out with fishermen. He was killed on a cross. That can't be the one that we're looking for. And Paul says, I used to look at Jesus just from an earthly human standpoint, and I concluded the wrong thing. But he says, now I don't see Christ that way any longer. Jesus had done a, 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 a transformation in Paul's mind and understanding because he came to see that Jesus didn't just die on the cross, but he rose from the grave. And Jesus was living a resurrected life now. And Paul said, knowing that, that Jesus has undergone this transformation and knowing that Jesus has promised to do something similar in the lives of his followers, I'm not going to judge other people based only on what I can see either. I'm going to believe that other people can have a transformed life as well. And I'm going to look at them in a little different way. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. I'm going to choose to relate to people in terms of what God could do in their lives, not in terms of just what I see. You know, in 1500 an artist by the name of Michelangelo, uh, maybe, maybe you've heard of him, uh, went back to a town called Florence. And in Florence was a giant warehouse. In that warehouse was a large piece of marble. This large piece of marble had been uh, looked at and worked on by artists for a number of years. And 40 years before Michelangelo went back to Florence, this piece of stone had actually been started by another sculptor, and they, they just set it aside. Couldn't make anything of it. It was kind of odd-shaped. Other artists, including Leonardo da Vinci, went into that storeroom, saw that same piece of marble, and said, no thanks. There's nothing in that for me. But when Michelangelo came back to that storehouse in Florence in 1500... He looked at that piece of marble and he saw something different. He saw something beautiful. He saw David. And Michelangelo took that piece of stone that others had rejected and he took the chisel and he began to work on it and he sculpted what many would acknowledge as one of the most beautiful sculptures ever made. Sculptures ever made. Michelangelo saw in that marble what no one else saw and it caused him to pick up the chisel and get to work. 
know what I think Paul was saying? Was he was saying, you know what? I'm choosing to see David in the stone. I'm choosing to see what Christ can chisel away as he makes a new creation out of whatever we see around us. I'm choosing to trust that when he takes up the chisel and begins to work, that something beautiful will come out of that as their lives are reconciled to God. As it says in verse 21, as the righteousness of Christ gets accredited to their account, as this new creation forms, David will appear and the old stone will pass away. You see, when we think about our lives in ministry and service to others, many times what stops us, what slows us, what discourages us is as we look around, we see people only for who they are, where they are right then. And we think, wow, you know, I, I might enjoy being involved in ministry with, with this set of people, but, but these people kind of freak me out and scare me or, or discourage me or whatever it might be. And when we do that, we're only looking at what we see externally. We're not looking at what Christ could do in their lives. The fact is that the same righteousness of Christ that has been credited to your account could be credited to theirs. The same reconciliation with God that leads to your new creation in Christ could, be, could, could lead to their new creation as well. Paul chose to see things for what they might be, not what they were. And that caused him to continue to engage in ministry because ministry was about them. He was fishing for them and what they might become. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting that Paul says in verse 20 that he saw himself as an ambassador. As an ambassador. As one who was speaking for God. What Paul understood was that when Paul was ministering among them, that God was literally encouraging and calling forth those around him in the Corinthian church through Paul. In other words, what did God's voice sound like to the Corinthians? It sounded like Paul's voice. And when you think about where you are in your life, what does God's voice sound like among those among whom you're ministering? Well, his voice probably sounds something like yours because he is wanting to speak through you entreating others to follow God, to be reconciled to him. What an awesome truth and what an awesome privilege that we have the opportunity to speak for him. Given all of these things, and given the fact that fishing is for him and it's for them, the conclusion we should come to is that we should not forget to fish. Now we've looked at this passage over the last six weeks, and you know it, it's really my desire that it wouldn't just be, hey, we've just taken up some time over the last six weeks, but that we would actually you know, remember these things and begin to apply them and walk in them. And if you're like me, there's a lot of life that happens between Sunday and Sunday, and so there's things that you're impacted with on Sunday morning and then you forget about during the week. Uh, and so as we conclude this series right now, what I want to do is I want to just walk through all of the kind of points that we've seen over the last uh, of the last six weeks, because there may be something that God has, has been urging you towards, but that you've forgotten about as we've walked through this series. And so I want to just walk back through those points, and then you, you just prayerfully consider how God wants you to respond to all this. Uh, the points are this. We have a slide. Put them up. 
find victory in captivity and purpose in the procession. Ministry is not about us, but it's about God changing others' lives through us. We're not to quit or to cheat, but we are to employ the winning strategy. As we minister, we'll minister with within the contrast of our frailty with His glory, our death with their life, our present with our future, believing that one day the bus will be moved and will be in someone else's home. Fish for Him and fish for them. Let me uh, close this in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you so much for the time that you've given us. And Father, I thank you for the last six weeks, and I thank you for the truth of 2 Corinthians chapters 2 through 5. Father, thank you for encouraging us and reminding us of the truth that you have blessed us so that we might be a blessing to others, that you have worked within our hearts and equipped us so that we might serve others in ministry. And Father, I pray that you would continue to work out in each of our hearts how you want us to respond. Father, not as a one-size-fits-all answer for everybody in this room, but Father, you have plans for each of us, and I pray that we would respond in faith. We pray thanking you for all of these things. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.